Welcome to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. It's been my honor to be the Bible teacher of this ministry for over 20 years. We've rejoiced to be able to come to you every weekday. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Fellowship, the Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our work by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. It's right to think that many are in this age going the way of destruction. Jesus said the way into destruction is broad and that many go that way, and the way into life is narrow, and few go that way. A question we might ask is, is that the final tally on heaven and hell? Will that be the ending balance? It may be the final tally for the age in which we live, but remember, Christ is coming to reign a thousand years upon the earth in an age of unhindered fruitfulness. And when that age is over, could it be that the tally of heaven and hell, the balance, will change significantly? Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And here you have an indication of the many who will be brought to this place having been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed and purchased back to the Father from our sins and our rebellion. There it speaks of those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. You see that? Take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And you'll see this mentioned again, but here an additional thought is added to this group of individuals from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. There it says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering us with palm branches in their hands. There's the triumph of the many that the Lord Jesus sees at that time. You know, we're right when we consider this and we start looking at this, that the Lord Jesus also taught us that there was just a remnant that would turn to Him and be faithful to Him. You might remember in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus said, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. And narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and Few there are who find it, and as a result, as we look upon any age in this world that we've lived in, in any historical moment, it seems as though those who are faithful and believing and trusting in God's salvation are always a remnant. There are always a few. And so it may be that our expectation is that heaven will be this little pocket of the handful that have been selected from every age, and yes, the accumulated number of those few from every age will comprise a pretty good group, but that's what's going to happen. The few that will escape, it will be, heaven will be the, the Noah and his family and children and the rest will all perish. But against this teaching, which is true, and God speaks of the reality of what takes place in all the ages of history that we have known thus far, the Word of God also speaks of an age to come, an age in which the Messiah will reign upon the earth and in which the earth is going to, the Bible tells us, burst forth with a stunning flourishing of fullness and fruitfulness. It will occur in a period of time just following the tribulation. The end of the tribulation will come to a close with, the Bible tells us, a day in which all of Israel will be saved in a moment. It says they'll look upon Him whom they've pierced and they will mourn. 
And Paul tells us, and so in a day all Israel will be saved. And the nation will have this great vast turning. And Christ will come to reign for a thousand years. And during that thousand years, we're given a different portrait from the remnant that we've had in all the other ages so far. Ages, by the way, as well, that are plagued by death and ruin and decay and even the fruitfulness of man, even though it's grown profoundly, have been significantly constricted by our sinfulness. Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28 speak of that day and that rain. Listen to what it says. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. Barry Leventhal writes an article in Arnold Fruchtenpalm's magazine called Ariel in which he speaks about and gives a defense of the dispensational system of interpretation of our Bibles, which I hold to. It's a system that says that we basically interpret our Bibles in two ways. The primary rules are that we have a consistent, literal, normal interpretation of the Bible, just as it would be literally and normally understood in each passage, in each context. And the other one is, as a result of that, we maintain a consistent, normal distinction between Israel and the church. And those two little rules, just those two little rules, it's not a lot of other things people say that it is, it isn't. It's just those two rules. Once they're beginning to be consistently applied, begin to reveal to us certain things. One of the things it shows us is that in the Bible, there's different words that are used, but they don't always mean the same thing every time you read them. And one of the words that's used when God gives promise to what he's going to do in the future is he speaks of the blessing that he'll put upon the seed of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, he told Abraham, I'm going to bless your seed, and through your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And I think the primary way that we need to take that seed is this. The seed is singular and the seed is Christ Jesus. And he's the one in the lineage of Abraham who has opened up a blessing to all the nations of the earth. The other way in which you oftentimes will read seed, and it's fair to see this as well, is that the seed refers to the physical descendants of Abraham. And those physical descendants were the people of Israel, but they weren't all the people of Israel. And at times in Scripture... When Abraham's seed is referred to, it's referring to those physical descendants. There's a third way, and that is that it speaks to the spiritual seed within the physical seed of Abraham. In other words, those believing, those believing in God and trusting in God's way and God's provision and God's covenant of salvation who are within the physical seed of Abraham. That's a third way. But there's a fourth way when you read your Bible that the seed also counts, and you can read it, and it's this. It's the spiritual descendants of Abraham through faith, both of his physical seed and the non-physical seed, who become heirs or children of Abraham through faith, believing in the salvation that he offers and God offers us through Jesus Christ. These are, together with the physical believing seed of Abraham, grafted into the, what Paul says is the olive tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grafted into his life. These are the seeds. It is this fourth one the believing remnant the spiritual seed of abraham that i believe ultimately is entailed within the promise that we have in genesis chapter 13 verse 16 there god promises this to abraham i will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if any man could number the dust of the earth then your descendants also could be numbered At the end of the age, 
we're led to expect a great apostasy, but throughout the new age, the messianic kingdom, we are led to expect a great ingathering of souls so that though many will be outside the city, many beyond counting will fill the mansions of heaven. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. And before he went to the cross, he saw the unnumerable numbers that we can't count. He knows them all by name that would be gathered around that throne, blessing him and praising his name. It's a place for many. Here was the fourth thing that we didn't talk about last week, and it's this. This place is a home for us, and it's a home for our Lord Jesus. He says, in my Father's house, and that's where he was going. And what a wonderful portrait. Here was our Savior who left all of the glories of heaven and left that communion in his Father's house to come to the far land way where we had wandered away as prodigals to reach us and save us and bring us back. And now this Savior who was giving of all of himself to redeem us declares, even before the suffering and the sorrow of the cross, I'm going back to my Father's home. I'm going back. And you're going to join me there. This place is going to be home for us. When we arrive there, it's not going to be strange. It's not going to be unfamiliar. It's not going to be a place in which we can't identify with it and we can't find our lives there. But when we find there, we will find that it is perfectly suited for us. And it will echo with all of the great, wonderful comforts that God has brought for us throughout this life. It will be replete with all the things that have brought courage and strength and bravery to our lives. Resound, that place will resound like that. When my wife and I lived in Canada, we would at least once a year come down and do a sojourn to visit our families here in the States. And uh, the way it worked, it always, we always stopped in Boise first and spent at least a week here in Boise. And it was an exciting time, and sometimes we would figure it out so that we could come a day early. This happened a couple times, where we actually left a day early, you know. We got our work done and came down a day early, and we didn't tell our parents we were coming, and we'd arrive, and we'd get there as night was falling, and this happened at least on two different occasions, and, and we would cut off in all oh, the excitement of knowing we were going home, particularly for me. And as we were driving up to the lane of my mother's house and my father's house, we'd cut the engine off, you know, we'd turn the lights off, we'd get the kids out, and we'd tell the kids to be all quiet, and we're going to go in and... You could look in the window and you could see mom and dad reading by the light. We probably gave them heart attacks, you know, but we could see them reading in the house and then we'd get inside the house and we'd have them be quiet. And the kids were all game because they wanted to run in and surprise grandma and grandpa. But I had a different idea in mind altogether. My idea was to step back into my home without the kids creating a lot of uproar hear the sound of the clock ticking away in the living room, the old country clock there, and to smell all the sounds and to take it all in before it was disrupted by all the chaos of people, just for a moment to know I was home. My life in repose. The thrill when the Lord Jesus will come and call us back. It will be that and more. Everything I tell you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything will be wonderfully familiar to you, even as it's wonderfully glorious. It will be inviting and warm and accepting, even as it's awe-filled, awe-filling. The psalmist writes, or the hymnist writes, just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial. Waking up in glory, finding it home. 
Here's the fifth one. It's a place where we will be with the Lord Jesus. That where I am, you may be also. In this life, we have encounters where we sense Christ coming near to us. He lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are those moments and times when He feels particularly sweet and near to us. There are even moments when divinely, and I can't explain this, where He seems to break in upon people to reveal Himself in powerful ways. One of the members of our church, before they came to the Lord Jesus Christ and received Him as Savior, was in a hospital room under the sentence of death. And Kathy is a teacher at Boise State University and an intellectual individual and here in that hospital room she has a dream or a vision something happens the Lord Jesus comes into the room puts his hand upon her and says Kathy you're going to be okay it's going to be all right the next day the doctor comes and says how are you doing she says you know what I'm going to be okay it's going to be all right and out of that developed in Kathy's life just a prayer life in which she sought God to lead her and eventually it led her to this place and where she heard the message of Christ and confirmed that she had indeed given her heart to him, was trusting him alone. And Kathy, that may be the clearest vision you've ever had of the Lord Jesus was on that night, but there's a clearer vision yet to come. You're going to meet him one day. You're going to be with him. He's here with us here on earth. He walks with us. He's promised, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And he's with us in this place, but there's coming a day when we will be with him We'll be with him in his place and he'll make himself known. And the Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is. You've been listening to the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho and Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our ministry, go to traincpe.org. Until the next time, God bless you.